you are Locked On Braves, your daily Atlanta Braves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, welcome to Locked On Braves. I know it's been a while, but it is Dylan. No simulcast this week as it is just a Locked On show for you guys. Got a lot to talk about, so we're going to jump right into this. First of all, you can find Locked On Braves and pretty much any podcasting platform by this point, whether you listen on iTunes, Spotify, uh, TuneIn, Megaphone, wherever it is, you can find Locked On Braves pretty much wherever, and you can find any of the other Locked On shows. I know it's the off-season for baseball, which... A lot of us guys aren't doing as many shows as normal, but if you're looking for a sports fix, you got all the Locked On basketball shows. Brad Roland doing the Locked On Hawks does an excellent job. You got Aaron Freeman doing the Locked On Falcons does an excellent job, even with a disappointing Falcon season. So there's always something for you to get your Locked On fix from. Whatever your favorite team, there's a Locked On show for you. And now that we've got the winter meetings finally done and over with, I think it's about time that we reflect on Kind of the craziness that's gone on in Major League Baseball this offseason up to date. This was a very, very refreshing offseason. The last two seasons have been so slow. Talking about guys like Dallas Keuchel not signing until like July, uh, coming in after the deadline. It's just, it looked like baseball was inevitably heading towards a strike as players weren't getting the money they thought they should. Teams were getting a lot smarter with the contracts they were doling out, and they were playing hardball with these guys, basically saying that they could get similar production by platooning people. Well, this offseason, I don't know if it was something where it was maybe some owners and and Rob Manfred maybe had to sit down and kind of discuss trying to avoid a strike because no one wants a strike in baseball. It was horrible for the sport when it happened in 94, and it would be absolutely detrimental for the sport now and really the strike was really kind of what brought upon the steroid age in baseball as a way to try to recoup a lot of the fans that they lost because of that so you go into this offseason there's been a lot of big signings already Uh, if you guys have listened to the simulcast that shows between doc and i doing tps and uh, the locked on ones you you already know about the mike moustakis deal who got four and 64 a gigantic deal which very much beat what I expected Musakis to beat. Almost doubled what I thought he would actually get. Uh, the Braves got Cole Hamels for one year and $18 million. I absolutely love that deal. We'll probably talk about that a little bit later in regards to Atlanta uh, and a certain other member of the team. But the big names, I think, have been the most surprising with how early in the offseason they've gone. And I'm usually not a guy that that buys a whole lot into the winter meetings. It tends to be more talking and, and discussing things more than big moves happening. But this year, man, things went and they went incredibly quickly. Not only did you have Zach Wheeler going to Philadelphia on, uh, was it five years and 120, $118 or $124 million? I think it was $118. Uh, not only did you have him sign before the winter meetings, but you had Steven Strasburg re-sign with Washington for seven years and $245 million, which at the time of his signing was the most expensive deal for a pitcher per annual value at $35 million a season for Steven Strasburg, who at 31 years old will be 38 when that deal runs out. And in true... Washington fashion uh, deferrals are kind of their main thing here. So everybody was kind of wondering after Steven Strasburg got his deal, what would Garrett Cole get paid and where would he go throughout 
really throughout the season and throughout all of the offseason, everyone in the know thought for sure he would be going to the Angels, that he would be joining Joe Madden out there. He's a California kid, uh, in, not a, not generally a, a big uh, a big stage kind of guy uh, by all accounts. He, he generally likes to kind of keep to himself a little bit. So a lot of people thought the Angels, who have a ton of money, uh, after just signed Mike Trout to that record deal and keeping him there probably throughout the rest of his career, they thought that Cole to the Angels was a foregone conclusion. Well, the Yankees stepped up big this offseason. Reportedly, the first offer on the table was a 7-245 and deal. And then once Strasburg inked his, Garrett Cole and his agent Scott Boris, like, that's cute. Now you're going to pay me a little bit more. So what did the Yankees pay Garrett Cole? Oh, I don't know. Nine years, $324 million. That is the highest deal ever signed for a pitcher, uh, beating Zach Granke's deal. And it's the highest... It's the highest deal per average annual value of anyone in Major League Baseball history at $36 million a year. He's getting paid more than Mike Trout per season. Uh, That, ironically enough, will also take him through his age 38 season. Now, when you're just looking at those two deals, and and there's more deals to get to, obviously, with some of the news coming down yesterday, um, but, but just looking at these two pitchers, these were... Without question, the top two pitchers on the market. Uh, so you, you you knew going in that it was going to take a lot of money. Strasburg coming off the World Series MVP. Garrett Cole coming off of 407 strikeouts in his uh, 339 and third innings as a Houston Astros pitcher. So you got to wonder, how do they grade out? It's when, you, when you give these types of gigantic deals, it's very, very hard to, to get uh, uh, an outstanding grade, like an A-plus or something like that. Uh, but for the Strasburg deal, I think I would give that one... I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna say a B plus because while Strasburg was amazing last year, really finally took that step that everybody'd been waiting for after a little bit of the shine had coming off had come off of him. Uh, he stayed healthy for for almost all the year. He didn't have those same struggles when things got hot and throughout the playoffs he was absolutely dominant. So why would I be giving this one uh, a B? Do you ask? Well, you're talking about paying a guy thirty five million dollars a year, uh, a guy who relies on high velocity. By the way. Uh, through his his age 38 season and for the first three years i'll bet you that deal is really good and and it's hard to be really it's hard to really be worth your 35 million dollars you're almost set up to fail from the jump but with the nationals they had a choice between rendon and strasburg rendon wanted no deferrals in his deal which meant washington had no chance so they knew they had to bring back one of these guys so strasburg gets the giant deal and the nationals better pray that he stays as healthy as possible. Uh, we know in the past that hasn't always been the case for Strasburg, but lately he's been fairly uh, he's he's been fairly healthy. And and this last season he was dominant. You can't really argue with that. But the big question is, I, I still have him as at least the number three pitcher in the National League. I, I think he he's not as good as Scherzer. He's not, he's not as good as Degrom. Uh, I, I think he's on par with Aaron Nola, even though Aaron Nola per- underperformed last year. Uh, I think a lot of that had to do with the defense around him and the ballpark and everything kind of coalescing around that Phillies team. But I would expect Aaron Nola to have a huge bounce back, uh, bounce back season this year. Now, that's not to say the Strasburg's not amazing because he is. But what about Garrett Cole? Because Garrett Cole... Now, see, the Garrett Cole deal, I think, is a little bit worse than the Strasburg deal for a couple reasons. Number one, I know how dominant Garrett Cole was in Houston. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to change that fact or deny it uh, for people that think, and I was one of these people uh, that think that maybe Houston has a little bit of a system to help help guys better when they're in Houston. 
Uh, Charlie Morton was just as dominant with Tampa Bay as he was with Houston last year. Their their development team is top notch. Uh, their scouting is top notch. They do a great job, really, with with perfecting guys and their spin rates and their usage. They really, really work on fixing the usage of guys. So as you saw with Garrett Cole last year, if you think you saw him striking out a lot of guys with just a basic four-seam fastball, you'd be right. 176 of them on the four-seam fastball, which was the most in Major League Baseball. My problem with this deal is Garrett Cole in the past has had a proclivity for the long ball. And with Major League Baseball now being in the quote-unquote juiced ball era, you're sending him to the AL East, which is probably the single worst division in all of baseball for a pitcher to have to try to not give up home runs. You've got New New Yankee Stadium, which for lefties is basically you can pop it up and hit it out. You've got Boston, which is somehow even smaller than that. You've got Camden Yards, which is the launch pad. And you've got Toronto, which is an absolute launch pad, as we all know. The only the only field in that division that isn't an absolute home run haven is Tampa Bay. So I would expect Cole's numbers to fall off a little bit just for the sheer fact that he's not playing in a hitter's park like Houston. He's going to be playing in or in a pitcher's park like like Houston. Excuse me. He's going to be playing in some of the best hitter's parks in all of Major League Baseball. Uh, So I I would expect his numbers to, to fall back to earth a little bit. And as for the Yankees, I see a lot of people talking about, oh, trying to buy a championship like always. I mean, this is something that the Yankees have been saving up for a while. They've used a lot of homegrown guys. They've made a lot of really shrewd deals, talking about Araldus Chapman for Glaber Torres, then turned around and re-signed Chapman anyway. Uh, their bullpen might be the best bullpen in all of baseball. I mean, and if they really if they get Josh, Josh Hader like they're trying to do, really, really look out. They've got a lot of stuff going on. Luke Voigt's not making a lot of money for his production. Uh, they've got some... Or, Aaron Judge is still not making a ton. He's a homegrown talent there. They still have Giancarlo Stanton on that roster, and Giancarlo Stanton and Garrett Cole combined are probably going to make more uh, than the entire Baltimore Orioles roster, which is a little crazy to think about. But overall, that team really was just missing starting pitching, and you add Garrett Cole who's going to unquestionably be their ace. It's going to push James Paxton to the number two, and James Paxton has been lights out as a Yankee. J.A. Happ has been a disappointment, but again, you have a tiny ballpark and you have a guy that doesn't throw 100 miles an hour, and unfortunately, things happen. They get Luis Severino back healthy. Masahiro Tanaka will slot in at the four or the five. There's a lot to like about that Yankees team, as much as I hate to admit it. Uh, does it make them the prohibitive AL favorite to go to the World Series? I think it does. Uh, and for Yankees fans, they don't really care about how much money they're spending. All they care about is winning. So from the pitching standpoint, I think I'm going to give them both B pluses. Uh, I think I think Cole will be better than Strasburg um, over the course of the contract if you're looking at underlying statistics. But I think surface wise, I think Strasburg will probably take it just because he's in a much friendlier environment for pitchers than Garrett Cole, who is kind of going to have to be perfect pretty much every game out and. That New York media is no joke, man. New York fans are, are savages, and the first time, if he's got a bad game in April, if he has a bad April period, he's going to hear it, just like Giancarlo Stanton did, and things are going to get rough pretty quick. Now, that doesn't mean that I think Cole's going to bust, because I think he's an amazing pitcher, uh, but those are definitely things that you have to consider when talking about this move, and the inherent volatility with pitchers in general, as opposed to Anthony Rendon, which leads me to Anthony Rendon. The Angels, after getting uh, kicked to the curb by Garrett Cole, still had the same offer on the table that they offered him, which was reportedly 7 and 245. So what do they do? They handed that to Anthony Rendon, who spurned his hometown Texas Rangers uh, and decided to sign with the Angels. And personally, 
I think they got the best deal out of the big three. I think that Rendon is a much better bet to hold his value over the course of his contract as opposed to Strasburg or Cole because we already know what Rendon does very, very well. He's an elite defender. He's a really, really good bat. I keep going back and forth on whether I think he's better than Arenado or if I think Arenado is the number one third baseman, but the simple fact that you can go back and forth with that argument really lets you know just how good Anthony Rendon is and has been. And at 29 years old, by the time he gets done with that contract, he's going to be uh, 36 years old. There's the DH in the American League, so as he goes on and on, he can move to DH as he gets older because... One thing that I think is in Arenado's favor more than Anthony Rendon's is I think Arenado is the more likely player to to hold value as they get older. Uh, I think Rendon is an absolute stud, and you're putting him in the same lineup as Mike Trout and a healthy Justin Upton uh, and Tommy LaStella if he comes back healthy and Joe Adele next year. That's a very scary lineup. They still have no pitching, but... They've got the makings of a team that could beat you 14 to 11 or 10 to 8. Uh, and for Anthony Rendon, he gets to go to a place that's that's going to pay him a lot of money. The fans are going to love him. Art Marino's trying to win. I mean, I, I think that is an A-plus deal. I think the Angels had to do something big. Uh, I know they wanted Cole, but I think they got a better deal with Rendon than they would have been given Cole anyway, which I mentioned Arenado being available. That's going to throw a monkey wrench into the whole offseason. Now, it's not officially available as far as, hey, we're looking to trade him, but the Rockies are taking calls on Nolan Arenado, which makes a little bit of sense when you consider there's a real shot that they're the worst team in that division next year. Um, I still think it'll be San Francisco, but they, they'll they be fourth at the very best in that division. Um, they're playing in a horrible park. They're, they don't have much going for them right now. They're kind of stuck in a, in a worse place to be in baseball where they're not as bad. They're not horrendously bad, but they're also not good enough to make a real run. So you're just kind of stuck in no man's land. Uh, I would not be surprised if they traded some other pieces. I don't think they'll trade Arenado. There's a few hangups in that deal. Uh, mainly, number one is is the salary. Is Arenado is making thirty two and a half million dollars. Uh, it will get up to thirty five at some points in that deal. There's also an opt out after twenty twenty one, which. I have heard that Arenado could be persuaded to waive the option and just have it turn into another year or waive the opt out and have it turn into another year on the back end of that contract, which again, that'd be a long contract for him. Um, but you'd at least be assured that you'd have him through all of his prime seasons and he couldn't opt out after two years. But if I'm a team trading for Arenado and I'm a, I'm a team that thinks that I'm a third baseman away, say the Atlanta Braves, um, I, I almost might be more inclined to leave that opt-out in because it'll lessen the prospect cost to get Arenado. And it's going to take a haul to get Arenado because I know a lot of people like to talk about Arenado and uh, how he's not that great away from Coors. If you look at his line away from Coors this year, he hit 20 homers on the road. At Coors, he hit 21. Uh, the OPS at uh, away from Coors was like 844. Uh, his OPS in Coors is over 1,000, but 844 is nothing to sneeze at, folks. It's a very, very good player. His defense is shortlist elite. The only third baseman who's a better defender than Arenado is probably Matt Chapman, uh, and those two guys played at the same high school, which is absolutely insane. But I think if anyone is going to get Arenado, I'm not sure that the Rockies actually deal him. I think they're more just going to kind of gauge his worth. I don't think anybody's going to want to give up the cost to actually acquire Arenado. I'm fairly certain the Braves won't. As much as Braves fans would love to picture Nolan Arenado playing third base, I don't think it's a realistic possibility because you're going to be dealing a ton, 
a ton of top prospects and the Braves have a couple needs instead of just one need to put them over the hump. And Alex has kind of shown that he's not the guy to push all of his chips in on one player, uh, which does kind of leave some disheartening news when you're considering Josh Donaldson, who uh, reports have come out that he's kind of flirting pretty hot and heavy with Washington as Washington is kind of expected to be the team to sign him as the crazy market and crazy prices have pushed Donaldson from an expected three year and $75 million range contract to basically a fourth year is all but assured at this point. Uh, you're looking at four years and a hundred at least maybe even as high as four and one fifteen. and for the Braves. There's not a lot of plan B left. I really thought that Mike Moustakas was going to be their plan B coming into the offseason, but he signed so quickly with Cincinnati that they're kind of having to to kind of scramble a little bit because if you don't get Donaldson now, there is no other third baseman on the market who's any good. You're going to have to solve it through trade. And when we come back from break, I'm going to discuss those trades a little bit because I think that JD is basically gone. I'll be very shocked if he's back in Atlanta. I don't think Alex wants to give him four years. You're giving him a four-year deal. I know he's a vegan. I know he takes good care of his body, but you're talking about his age 36 and 37 season uh, for a guy that's had calf problems. That's not $25 million a year for 36 and 37-year-olds is not good money, and I think that Liberty Media, while they've loosened up the purse strings this offseason, I think their mandate to Alex is don't spend bad money. Make sure that it's good value, and giving a 36 and 37-year-old $25 million a year or more is it's just not smart when there's a few other moves that they can make. So no, I don't think he'll be back in Atlanta. I'm sorry. I know a lot of you are going to be crushed at that. I know everybody loves Josh Donaldson. They love the swagger. And quite honestly, I think that's going to be something that the Braves are going to really have to look very hard to, to try to replicate the sort of attitude he brings to the clubhouse. It's very different personality with Josh Donaldson. It's not just that, that he's the older wise and veteran, yada, yada, yada. It's a, it's a very different swagger from what you get from Acuna and Albies. It's very much a very, very intense sort of, of, of attitude that he brings to the clubhouse. Um, don't, don't fret though. I've got a few ideas rolling around the old noodle that I think would work very well in the Braves favor and could and in my opinion, would actually be more beneficial than bringing back Josh Donaldson. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to discuss those deals with you and probably try to end the show without getting to an hour. So hang on through the break. We'll be right back on Locked on Braves. Our show today is brought to you by Blue Chew. Guys, there's nothing worse than not being able to perform. It gnaws at you, questioning your manhood, laughing at you. I'm not saying I've got first-hand experience or anything, but you guys know what I'm saying. But thanks to Blue Chew, you never have to experience that again. Blue Chew has the same FDA-approved ingredients as Viagra or Cialis, but is made with you in mind. Because it's chewable, you don't have to wait for the effects to kick in. You chew it once, you're good to go. Just chew it and hold on tight because you and your partner's world is about to take a wild ride. And with discreet shipping, no one ever needs to know what you've got going on. Not your doctor, not your neighbor, not the postman delivering the package. But what if you're just looking to spice things up a bit? No worries, because Blue Chew isn't just for men with ED. No more taking the shortcuts. No more taking the short way to the ballpark. Now you and your partner can take in the sights. And if you use our promo code locked on, things just keep getting better because they'll give you your first package for free. Just pay $5 for shipping. Take back your bedroom today with Blue Chew and Locked On.
What's up, guys? Welcome back to Locked on Braves. As I mentioned in the last segment, uh, I do not believe Josh Donaldson is coming back. So what can Atlanta do to either mitigate the loss or maybe come out ahead in that deal? Well, there is a couple things that I think that can happen. Now, replacing Josh Donaldson is, is a little bit trickier. It's a lot easier said than done. When you talk about a guy that was essentially worth five war, uh, hitting cleanup in the lineup that leaves two gaping holes, uh, provided really good defense at third base, uh, leave, leave some major holes in your lineup, in your team, uh, chemistry, in your locker room, all that good stuff. Josh Donaldson is, is a big guy to lose, but there are some things that could work. Number one, and this is if you guys have followed me on social media at all this offseason, you know this is my main single driving force, Chris Bryant. Um, people can tell me all they want that, oh, his defense is bad. It's usually not bad. It wasn't good last year, but it's coming off of his shoulder surgery. He still put up 4.8 at 4.8 F4, which is 0.1 less than Josh Donaldson did. Uh, 31 homers hit around 278, I believe, 272 or 278 if you care about batting average. I generally don't. Uh, Big-time power. He's a big body. He's athletic. I am a huge Chris Bryant fan. He's only 27. He is the only person in the history of baseball to win college player of the year, minor league player of the year, rookie of the year, and MVP. He is an absolute stud, and when he's healthy, there are very few offensive options better than Chris Bryant. I happen to think he will be back up over six war because he has more seasons of more than six war than seasons under six war. Now, you would think that getting a former MVP would be an insane cost, right? Well, the couple things working against that are the fact that everybody knows he's not re-signing in Chicago. Chicago. He's not going to win this grievance. There's going to be two years of control left, and that's definitely going to drive an even bigger wedge between him and Chicago. Uh, He's had some very hard feelings about them ever since they did what they did to uh, manipulate his service time, Uh, and he's a Boris client. He's going to get to free agency, so... You're, you're trading for two years of Chris Bryant, which is probably going to cost you pretty close to $50 million. He's going to get arbitration estimates are about 18 and a half for this season, uh, probably about 20. If he has the type of year that I'm thinking he's going to have, he'll be at about 25 in uh, 2021. But what you're getting from Chris Bryant is a guy who's just entering his physical prime. He's going to slot in right there at number four, right behind Freddie, like everybody's wanting. He's versatile enough to play left field, even though the defensive numbers were down last year. But he's a guy that I think if you put him in a single position, guys that have to play multiple positions for a long stretch of of time, generally, who are used to being starters, generally do not perform as well defensively when they have to split time. When a guy is a third baseman his whole life and all of a sudden he's got to go play outfield and shortstop and wherever, generally it starts to look like Camargo where the body type starts to, to change as he has to adjust to the the power requisites and speed requisites for other positions. And in the case of Camargo, it really took down his defense. In the case of Chris Bryant, I do think it affected his defense at third base. And I also think that the shoulder surgery had more to do with his negative seven DRS than anything else because the season before he was negative two. And while that's not bad, that's also not horrible. Uh, I'm a big Chris Bryant fan. I don't think it would take a ton, relatively speaking, to get him. The Braves and the Cubs match up very well for a few simple reasons. The Cubs have no prospects because they got swindled in the Jose Quintana and the Eraldis Chapman deal. I know the Chapman deal got them a World Series, uh, but giving up Glaber Torres for Eraldis Chapman was not smart at all. Um, giving up 
Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease for Jose Quintana was even more dumb. And now the Cubs really just have Miguel Amaya. Nico Horner is already on their squad, but he's he's more of a second baseman and he's he's more of a complimentary piece uh, than than a true superstar. They don't have a lot going on in the outfield. They've got a lot of guys who are coming up to get paid together. Uh, you're talking about Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Schwarber, Chris Bryant, all on the same clock. Not to mention they still have the Jason Hayward albatross. They still have the 20, 20 million or 22 million to you Darvish. Uh, John Lester still getting paid a boatload. Chicago has to clear money. Everybody knows it. And when you know a guy's not going to re-sign with a potential team, that kind of takes down the cost that you're going to have to send. If you watch MLB Network, uh, I can't remember if it was John Morosi. I think it was John Morosi, but I can't remember who it was that was saying it, um, that it would be Austin Riley and Bryce Wilson to get it done. If that's the case, I would have done that deal yesterday. I do think it will take a little bit more than that. Uh, I do think Austin Riley is essential in the return, though. I mean, if you could talk them into Camargo instead of Riley, then fine. Um, but I, I am, I understand Riley's a, a, a very good prospect. He has a lot of power. He's a lot more athletic than people think. He's a good defender at third. He has some high upside. There is also massive, massive bust potential with Austin Riley. And when you look at his numbers last season after May, which is when he got called up. Now, everybody remembers the May, how he went insane. What a lot of people don't realize is his Babbitt was up over 400. Um, but after May, he was not good talking in the 170s, not slugging higher than I think his highest slugging percentage in a month after May was like 432. Uh, if you want to listen to the Platinum Sombrero, we outline it there and I've got it up on my Twitter feed as well. Um, Austin Riley's not a guy to hold up Chris Bryant and you can say, well, four or five years of Austin Riley. Uh, that's if everything goes right for Austin Riley. If you're into looking at the projections, uh, Austin Riley's projected to be a 1.6 F4 player next year. That is not good. I mean, it, it's it's replacement level. It's not below replacement level, and it's not above average. It's it's replaceable level. It's it's not great level. Um, Chris Bryant, I think, is going to do very very well. I think another year removed from the shoulder is going to be wonders for him. I th- I think being able to work out consistently again is going to help him kind of get a little bit of that range back. Uh, I. I I would do that deal in a heartbeat. The deal that I keep coming back to for Chris Bryant, I keep thinking it's going to be something like Austin Riley, Sean Newcomb, and uh, a reliever like Shane Green. If they're looking for another prospect for uh, for their minor league system, maybe you swap out Shane Green for oh I don't I don't know maybe a Jaciel De La Cruz, maybe maybe somebody like that. Uh, a lot of Cubs fans who think it's going to be Max Freed in a deal for Chris Bryant. That's not something that I see happening. And it's not that Max is it's not that Max isn't fair value for Chris Bryant. I actually think straight up Chris Bryant talent for talent, Chris Bryant is a more talented player than Max Fried right now as it currently states. Um, and they would generally if it were just straight up for straight up with no salaries, no years considered, they would want more than just Max Fried. Uh, the the reason why I don't think it'll be Max going in there is I don't think Alex, for a team like Atlanta, who has championship challenging aspirations at the very least, they already have one hole in their pitching rotation. Uh, number five is is going to be some sort of amalgamation, barring any sort of trade or signing of Hinjin Ryu, who I'm a big fan of, and that's who I want. But as it stands right now, that fifth spot in the rotation is going to be somebody who did not grab it last year. So talking about Tuki Toussaint, Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, Sean Newcomb, maybe Tucker Davidson, uh, 
those are the guys that are that are currently ready. At some point, you might see Ian Anderson later in the year. Uh, you've got Patrick Weigel, who's pretty close to ready. We've seen Wasker Noah, but we've only seen him out of the bullpen. They still haven't decided what they're going to do with him. There's a lot of different guys vying for that one spot. None of them, none of them, inspire me with confidence to say that he's going to be a lockdown number five or he's. He's a guy that you want when you're a championship type of team. Uh, I, I think they would be remiss if they did not. I would think they would be remiss if they traded somebody like Max Freed or even a Mike fulton for instance. You've got three pitchers right now with Soroka, Freed, and Hamels that you know are locked into your rotation. If Fulte is on any sort of track, he'll bounce back from what he did last year. He will not be as bad as he was a season ago, uh, which locks him in at number four. And it's a good number four, by the way. But I don't see them... I, I don't see them creating a, a, another hole, creating a third hole on or a fourth hole, really, on that roster to solve one hole. Uh, so you can take Max Freed out. Luckily, the Braves have a ton of pitching prospects all at the major league level, basically. Uh, all these guys who are who have done really well in AAA that, but haven't quite hung on the major leagues. With the revamping of the bullpen, the Braves don't have spots in the bullpen to stash these guys. I think you could see something. If they wanted to go prospect heavy, I, I could see something revolving uh, around... I, I think Austin Riley's going no matter what, but let's say for the sake of argument that, that the Cubs are willing to take Camargo instead. Uh, if you up the prospect cost, I think you'd be talking about something like Camargo, uh, Kyle Wright, Tuki Toussaint, and um, I, I still think you'd have to throw in a lotto ticket at the end there. Uh, one of these pitchers that are anywhere from 15 to 25, uh, not anybody else in the top 10. Now, that, that's a big deal. I'm not going to pretend that it's not. That's a lot of potential that's going away. Uh, but I really do think Austin Riley, Sean Newcomb, and Shane Green would get that deal done. Is it an overpay? Maybe, depending on how you feel about Shane Green or Sean Newcomb. Uh, I, I personally think that Sean Newcomb is not long for this team. I think when Alex met, mentioned that he's a starter, uh, despite the fact that he's flamed out as a starter pretty badly in pretty much every instance he's had as a starter, other than maybe four starts over his career, uh, I, I think that it's a little bit of posturing to up his value. But Chris Bryant is not the only way that they could address the situation. There's a couple other creative ways that they could do this. Um, well, I, I think one thing to keep an eye on is the outfield because let's say that the price gets too high for Chris Bryant. Let's say that the Cubs are adamant that you're going to give up Drew Waters, Ian Anderson, or Christian Pache, one of those three in the deal, which I don't think would happen, and I don't think Alex would do that for, for Chris Bryant, despite how good he is. Um, there, there are ways they could still solve this problem and not just solve it, but they could actually maybe come out ahead. That would be, I would look at Marcelo Zuna as a guy who would profile very well in this cleanup spot. I know Zuna didn't have the best season, the healthiest season all of last year, but it, you do need to remember that he was hitting very, very well. Then he fractured the two fingers on his right hand, I believe, uh, diving back into second base. And after that, he kind of went down until the playoffs where he absolutely scorched the Braves. And for the last two seasons, Marcelo Zuna has been the luck, the unluckiest player in Major League Baseball uh, in terms of the difference between his WABA, which is the weighted on base average, and his ex-WABA, which is the expected weighted on base average, which essentially just looks at how hard you hit the ball, where you hit the ball, and it correctly values extra base hits more than singles and walks. Uh, and his differential 
were was the highest ever. Now, there is something concerning that it can happen two years in a row, and a lot of it is that he's been pulling more of his ground balls. If you look at his exit velocities and, and his batted ball profiles, he hits the ball extremely hard, um, but he's, he's not blazing fast anymore. Um, he doesn't have the same arm he had in 2017 thanks to the shoulder surgery. He's not quite the defender that he was in Miami, um, but I... If I'm talking about a left fielder, all these guys have warts. Expecting a perfect player and expecting to get them easily is is ludicrous. It's not going to happen. Um, I think Ozuna would be a great fit, and then you would pair him with somebody like Eduardo Escobar. Uh, and if you don't know who Eduardo Escobar is, uh, look him up on Fangraphs. He's the third baseman for Arizona. Last season popped off for 35 homers. His last two seasons have been very, very good. Essentially, he is what you hope Camargo turns into. Uh, he is a plus third uh, plus fielder at third base. For those of you that are worried about our pitching staff, who gives up a lot of contact and having a, a negative defender at third base. If you add in Escobar, uh, that's a really good defender. He's got a lot of power. He's a switch hitter. Uh, and he would profile perfectly in the fifth spot. If you do Ozuna and Escobar, your lineup is deeper than it would be otherwise. And you're not going to be relying on Marquecas or Duval or Travis Darno batting in the fifth spot in the lineup. Now, you could also sub in Nick Castellanos for Marcelo Zuna if you want to. Uh, Castellanos hits the ball extremely hard, hits a ton of extra base hits. Uh, He's a lot more athletic than you would think when you just look at his speed scores and his steals and and things of that nature. But he's such a horrendous defender. I don't think Castellanos would be on the table for Atlanta. Uh, Alex does seem to prize defense. Now, if you could get him at a reasonable cost, say, say $18 million a year, I think Alex would jump at that. But I think that Castellanos gets a little bit overrated. Um, and people kind of think if, if he gets to like the $22 million range, that's too much for Castellanos. He's more of an AL player. Uh, interesting, interestingly enough, the giants are kind of hot and heavy for him, which watching him try to play the outfield in San Francisco would be absolutely brutal. Worse than watching Will Myers try to play third base. Uh, but he is another conceivable option. If his price is right again, right-handed batter, which you want batting fourth. who has got a lot of power. Um, and he's still young. He's 27 years old. There's still a lot to like about Castellanos, too. Um, just, I, I don't think he's a, a great fit for the Braves. There's a few others. I mean, the Mariners have talked about trying to move uh, Kyle Seeger. Now, Kyle Seeger has had a bounce back season a year ago, but he's owed a lot of money. Uh, he's 32 years old. He's a good defender, but there's always that worry that, that he's going to crash and burn like he did after getting that big contract. I think that that is an extreme fallback option. Uh, I think it's more likely that they would get after Kyle Seeger than roll into it with uh, with just Camargo. But, I mean, I, I think Atlanta would be more likely to roll the platoon of Riley and Camargo and address cleanup through the outfield than to acquire Kyle Seeger. But if the Mariners are willing to eat some of his contract and there's some, some rumblings that he could turn uh, an option year or he could drop a no trade clause. There, there's a few things he can do that he's willing to do with his contract as well that could make things a little bit easier to move him. Um, n- not a bad year a, a season ago. If you want to look it up on Fangraphs, he's he's pretty he, he's not bad. He's not terrible. He's just not what people thought he was going to be when he went through that quick stretch. Uh, another interesting name would be, depending on what the Dodgers do, is they're kind of hot and heavy for Francisco Lindor right now. A lot of people are expecting Lindor to be uh, dyeing his hair to a Dodger blue. If that happens, that would open up at least one of the Dodgers infielders. Now, if they do get Francisco Lindor, Gavin Lux would be heading over there. Uh, Francisco Lindor would play short. There's talk about Max Muncy moving to the outfield. Um, if they were to get 
Lindor, I think you would see Justin Turner move to second base. Corey Seager move to third. Uh, I think Muncie would stay at first, and they would leave Bellinger in the outfield. Um, it depends on who goes back in the deal. If they were to go after somebody like Arenado and acquire Arenado, I think you could get it, – it opens the door a little bit. I would be interested, though, in seeing if you could get Corey Seager. And I know there's been some injury issues with Corey Seager, but when he's on the field, man, Corey Seager is exceptional. And if, if his health weren't a factor, I would leave him at short because he's a better shortstop than Dansby. But if you move him off of short and move him to third base, you might be able to keep him healthier because it's been things like his hamstring that have kind of kept him off the field. So uh, finding ways to keep him healthy would be paramount. Again, I think that's not very likely at all. I think uh, I, I think the most likely, aside from a Bryant trade or, or maybe somebody like a Hunter Dozier even, I think the most likely, if I were to rank them in order of likeliness, I would say Chris Bryant, number one. I would say Ozuna Escobar, number two. Um, I would probably say Kyle Seeger number three or Justin Turner number three. And I, I think rolling with Austin Riley and Camargo is up there as well. Uh, th- there's still a lot that the Braves can do. They still need another pitcher. Uh, there is some some quiet rumblings that they've been checking in on Ryu, which as long as there's quiet rumblings, I'll believe it. If it starts saying, if somebody starts saying that they know that Alex is offering Ryu, uh, then I'll start to kind of fade it out a little bit because we know how Alex likes to operate. But if you're a Braves fan, it's not time to panic yet. Um, I don't know when Josh Donaldson's going to sign. It looks like it's going to be soon. Um, but when he does, there are still options available. It's not time to hit the panic button. Uh, the Chris Bryant grievance probably won't be over until January, which is when I really think you'll see them make a move there. But I've still got faith in, in Alex. I love the moves he's made this offseason. Having Cole Hamels come into the staff to work with Max Freed, who's a frequent comp, uh, Cole Hamels is a frequent comp of Max Freed's to have him work and show him that changeup because that's what makes Cole Hamels so dominant is his electric changeup to have him working and not just working with Max Freed, but but being able to impart a lot of his demeanor to guys like Mike Soroka and, and to show them what it's like to to have been uh, one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball at the time that he was doing it. Uh, Cole Hamels brings a lot to this team and uh, I know Jack Flaherty likes to pop off of the mouth. Uh, if you guys saw his tweet, well, Cole Hamels is a guy that's already proven that he's not going to let you punk a team. So Jack Flaherty, I, w- I cannot wait to watch the Cardinals uh, and the Braves play because Jack Flaherty will be wearing one. If you don't know what I'm talking about, he's already deleted the tweet. Uh, essentially, he was poking at Acuna uh, on the let's see, Major League Baseball sent out a tweet talking about the decade of the bat flip. It has one of Acuna bat flipping in there off of Carlos Martinez, and uh, Jack Flaherty decided to chime in. Uh, are we sure that Acuna's was a home run or was it a single? Uh, this is after trying to pretend like he didn't hit Acuna on purpose in a 12-run game. Um, it's absolute Bush League, which the Cardinals are a Bush League team, so take that for what it's worth. I mean, it's, it's not shocking. But that's something that a ball player will not forget, and that's something that I know for a fact. Snicker has already been angry at the way uh, that the Cardinals handled that defeating or handled beating the Braves in Game 5. He was not uh, a a fan of how Mike Schilt handled things. Uh, and I think finally, 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 you could see Atlanta stop letting a team punk them because uh, a guy like Cole Hamels, he's not going to let you get away with it. And I, for one, am here for it. I'm also here for the off season. So anytime there are any big Braves news or whatever, if there's big news to break, uh, I'll do a single locked on show as it is today. Um, if, if there's not as much major news, then I'll simulcast a few episodes along with my TPS partner, Doc Herbert, uh, as it is. Uh, I am I am ready and raring to go for the next season. I am very excited to see what the Braves can can do this offseason. There's a there's just enough suspense 
to to keep you on the edge of your seat. And I know Alex is working on something. It'd be very nice to see what happens as there's a little bit of nervousness that makes it all the more fun. Thank you guys so much. I know this is a longer episode. Thanks for making it to the end, those of you that did. Thank you guys so much for continuing to support the podcast. Love you guys. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day. And we'll catch you next time right here on Locked on Braves. Locked on Braves.